Hey, Never Sleepers, how are ya? Alex Ross here with another episode of Ross Never Sleeps. Today's guest is legendary broadcaster from Toronto, Jason Agnew. But first, this week on NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Tomorrow, we have a brand new Vesta Friends podcast with guests Parker and Seville. On Wednesday, be sure to check out the latest Potato Files with Jeff Paul and his guest, Canadian television writing icon, Tim Steves. And Thursday on Speech Bubble, our comic book podcast, is the third installment of Comics on Comics with Nug Nargang from Sportsnet 360's Wrestling Roundtable Aftermath and a regular on Jason Agnew's Friday show at Toronto's Comedy Bar, Catch 23. Jason came to the NSN studio to promote Crashed on Bell 5 TV, where Jason and co-host Matt Phillips deep dive into the craziness that is conventions here in Toronto. We play our own trivia, and Jason talks about where he got his start in Canadian broadcasting. Be sure to check out the long list of appearances and shows featuring Jason. Head to jasonagnew.com and tune into Never Sleeps Network for more great podcasts. Here's Jason Agnew on Ross Never Sleeps. What were you working on? Uh, I was working on a new show that I'm doing with my partner, uh, Matt Phillips, called uh, Crashed. Matt Phillips slash Matt Chin, whatever you want to call him. No, we'll call him Matt Phillips. Um, I did my, I, my, my research. Oh, I, did I you? know he's there not you Matt Chin anymore. Yeah, we'll see if he goes back to it. Oh, is that um, up for discussion I still? don't know what he's doing. He does his own thing, so he changes his name and such. I just stay with one. Uh, but yeah, we're doing, uh, we're doing a series called Crashed, uh, and it's already on. The first few episodes are already on Bell 5 TV 1. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a follow-up to Conventioneers. Uh, it's Conventioneers with a new name. Ten-year uh, anniversary. Uh, yeah, we, we we just passed that because it would have been January of 2006 we did our first episode of Conventioneers. So, yeah, ten-year anniversary. You got that right. It's not the, it's, it's it because it would be the anniversary of the first year. There you go. Well, not many people know, Jason, but you've been involved in the media industry for 20 years? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a long time. <laughs> well, the law. This year is going to be the law's 20-year anniversary. Can we talk about that a yeah, bit? Yeah, I mean, sure. You started as an intern. Yeah. Right out of Ryerson's radio and television in arts it. program. In You're Ryerson. still in it. I was in my second year, I think. Yeah, my second year of RTA and started volunteering with this little... Radio show that was on the Fan 590 from 1 a.m. till 3 a.m. on Sunday nights because I liked wrestling. So Jeff Merrick yep. was the creator. Yes. Was Dan also a creator? Dan wasn't a creator. Jeff was the creator and the original hosts were uh, Donnie Abreu and Chris Tidwell. Okay. And then Leveransky, Dan Leveransky, the mouth, and I jumped on within a month of each other in 1999. And I started as uh, like an intern and then got into being a board op at uh, Fan 590. And Mouth came in as like the producer and he was booking guests and working the phones and stuff like that. And then you were a producer for five years. 
of the I mean, yeah I was the tech producer for five okay. years I wasn't really booking guests because Merrick would have been on it in that point and sure. he had most of the connections uh, I'm the tech producer I was the tech producer I'm still the imaging producer of the show so all the bells and whistles that surround it I do all that stuff try to make a sound as good as possible and I'm the lead host now I mean just because Levransky was the lead host for a while and I mean we're co-host but I basically do the ins and outs and you know when it, when it comes down to it you look at like you know Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura I guess when they used to do the play by play i'm more the vince and he's the jesse okay. he's louder yeah. he's louder that's yeah. what it comes down to um and i'm more so the the trained tv host with all of that work and i do other t- uh, radio work as well so it works better in that dynamic we made that flip to me leading the show when we moved over to tsn radio which would have been about five years ago but i mean we're the we are the um whores of am radio in toronto because i think we've been on every station well you're also on news talk 10 yes. 10 the same day that law is out. So yep. the mornings you're doing Sunday morning trivia. Yes. And then in the evenings you're doing live audio wrestling. You got it. And I love the dynamic between you and Dan, kind of like the baby face and the heel. You have this, like Dan loves the attention he gets when people are kind of throwing him against the ropes, so to speak. And, and I really appreciate that about Dan, really. He's a very nice person. And he's a huge Frank Zappa fan. Yes, he is. And I love Frank Zappa. There you go. And we bond over Frank Zappa almost every time we've interacted. Amazing. Because there's not many people that are as diehard as he is yeah. especially when it comes funny thing about wrestling fans in generally in general is you're a hobbyist you love something so much it becomes you same like music same like comedy with you i feel like it, wrestling is something that encompasses when you're a true fan and you've been a fan as long as you have and and how it you know the the masses really adapted to law like yep. he, i remember watching a, a clip that i was doing while well, i was doing some research where john pollock's face Wei ting's face and dan's face were blown up on big poster board yeah all of us i was there too you were in that yeah, too I, Someone took a picture, a, a, a picture of my head, and blew it up on poster board. And it was at the Royal Rumble. Would have been the debut of AJ Styles when he debuted. I believe we were like our giant heads were right behind him. So that would have been 2016, I think, the Royal Rumble. Wow. Yeah, fan, the fans of the Law are great. I mean, they're so dedicated. And the cool thing about that show is, yes, we've been doing it for so long. So we're kind of like we're definitely destination programming on TSN Radio. Like people who are there for our show aren't necessarily sticking around for other things. Things. But at this point, it's become a bit of a legacy show. Like, it's just been around for 20 years. It's always been there, which is kind of crazy to think about the little show that could, that started in 97 on a station, an internet station called Virtually Canadian. But the fans have spread out all over the world. I mean, we have phone calls. We've had phone calls from Australia and Ireland and England and India. Uh, there was one, I think, that came in a couple of weeks ago from like Saudi Arabia, wow. which is crazy to have these people staying up to or, or just in the middle of their day. I don't know what time it is over there when we're live and calling into our cool little radio show. But I mean, we're known all over the world. If you are a, an, a, like on the inside of the outside of wrestling circles and you want to know the behind the scenes stuff as well, we are one of the main shows that are out there. There's of course, Dave Meltzer, wrestling observer and live audio wrestling. And a lot of that is, uh, yeah, myself and Dan front the show, but along with that, you know, waiting and John Pollock is, you know, the heart and soul of the show now because he works 24 seven at the fight network. And, uh, 
uh, follows everything. And there's a guy also much like myself who's gone from both Way and John have gone from interns to Way is one of the one of the best producers and uh, cameramen that I've ever worked with. And then John is just he's a his mind is a sponge. Extremely talented yep. people. Way, Review Away yep. is probably the best spinoff show from Law. That kind of I guess you call it a mini webisode that you guys do in between. It's a it's a live video version of of stuff. Does, is that also an audio version? Does he do review? Oh away yeah, it's live? primarily audio, and then they just kind of ha- they have the video there. So there's so review funny. raw, review smackdown, review away. Uh, what's next with myself and Braden Harrington? Uh, we have British audio wrestling. We have Japanese audio wrestling. So we have a whole family of podcasts all available at liveaudiowrestling.com. Before we get too deep into wrestling, I know, I know we've turned everyone off at this point. Well, no. I- not true i'm a wrestling fan at heart you know i grew up in the attitude period and the video games played a huge role but i'm also i also went to wrestlemania 18 you know i toronto's always played a big role in wwe uh but comedy is is probably your first love yeah i just want to give you a quick intro just so people have a, a real understanding of who you are you're not only just a graduate from the rta program but you've embarked on numerous broadcasts and comedy projects starting as early as your career even as early as law, you eventually produced and hosted the Emmy award-winning network Byte TV, uh, winning in the interactive channel category, and it's now known as Makeful. So I want to talk yeah. to you about. You don't have to reference that. Yeah, okay. that's garbage. It, it, it doesn't seem like it's the same thing. No, it's, it's garbage. It's completely gone uh, in all different the direction. Of, all the spirit of Byte was lost when it was purchased by Blue Ant. What was the spirit of Byte? Uh, it was uh, a basically a playhouse. Uh, it was awesome. It was, you know, almost like an SCTV, but the real life version of that. I mean, I was brought about, my boss at that was uh, was Jeffrey Elliott, who's just a t- tremendous individual and was the greatest boss I'll ever have, bar none. I can't see anyone being better. And he was just a guy who had a vision of, this is back in, I think he would have started planning this in the early 2000s and Byte launched in May of 2005. Uh, but he he was all about, you know, you're, you're watching television and you have your phone in your hand, you have your computer in front of you, and there's all of these screens, but they're all interacting with with one. And I mean, that seems like nothing right now, right? Because it happens all the time. But in 2005, that was not. That was right on the cusp of just starting to happen. And Jeffrey was there and wanted to uh, wanted to make that work with Byte TV. So it was interactive and it was short form programming. So you know, he was looking at stuff that was happening on YouTube, which had just launched, and we were trying to do short form programming on TV. And then we branched out to. We started kind of as the Spike TV of Canada and then pushed more towards a second comedy network in Canada. And that's where, uh, I mean, I was in charge of all in-house programming and just kind of running the station and beg borrowing and stealing for everything that we could do and trying to get 24-7, you know, content on the air for this thing. And uh, it was just a fun environment. There were a lot of young people working there. Basically, all the names that I've already mentioned, you know, Way and John and such were, were on board there as well as shooters and producers. And that's where I had Matt uh, Chin as a, my 18-year-old intern who then, he was already doing a little show in his garage, in his in his parents' garage in Pickering. So we put that on the station. And it was just like when, when you don't have a lot of money, sometimes it can breed a, a whole bunch of creativity. And uh, that's what that was. And we just had the run of the place, like a whole studio, Pyman Studios in Mississauga. We had the run of the place to do a variety of different styles of programming and have a good time. We, we worked like crazy. It was seven days a week all the time, um, but I never minded it. 
it was just great. And that's one, one of the things that Jeffrey just let me run free and kind of run this station with the embodiment of what I wanted to do with some guidance, but it was never, Hey, you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to be here at nine, leave at five. He just basically said, you know, as long as you get your work done, cool. It's the way it should be. Yeah. And, and all that did was push me to do more times were kind of weird at a certain point where I was doing live shows on global in the morning and then working for bite in the afternoon. Cause Pyman studios happened to be happened to have game shows running out of there. So I got hired as a game show host and Jeffrey was like, yeah, no problem. As long as you're still getting your work done. I was like, great. Two incomes with the revival of crash. Yeah, yeah. The convention years. Yep. Are you getting this reminiscent feeling of bite TV again with no. you and Matt? No, 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 we're not. We're not getting a reminiscent feeling of bite television. We're getting, a bit of conventioneers, but it's so different. Ultimately, we're, we're not doing it on a station where if there's any problems on the shoot, it comes down to me and I'm solving those problems. If it doesn't, I know Jeffrey has my back. I mean, we're, we're giving this show to Bell Fibe, so it's in the Bell Media organization, so there's different rules. I mean, Byte was almost like no rules. Right, and, um, and it's all on YouTube for those who are interested in checking out the conventioneers. Yeah, the conventioneers show is still there. I think it's youtube.com slash Conventioners TV and all of our stuff now. Matt and I just we, our website is mattandjtv.com. Um, and it links back to that splat a lot. This tour we do in the fall called Game Brain. Um, so because beyond bite, we went on to do splat a lot, which Marvel Media picked us up for. And I mean, it was excellent. We, we got on to Nickelodeon in the US, and it was just the producer there, Steve Sloan, who went on to be the exec producer of Hockey Night in Canada, thought these guys are really funny in this incarnation. Uh, Agnew's also kind of like a play by play guy doing wrestling. Uh, I wonder if they can turn their act into play-by-play commentators for Wipeout for Kids. And it worked out. We did two seasons of that. There was no learning curve. This is, it worked out really well for them because there was no learning curve. When you put two hosts together on camera, you don't know what they're going to be like. You don't know what their chemistry is. Matt and I's chemistry was already in place. It was just a matter of taking the adult-style comedy we were doing and making it kid-friendly. And it I mean, it worked really well for us. And I think, well, for them, the show was... Splatterlot was a big hit on YTV. It's too bad it only went two seasons, but kids still know us from that. I want to go back. Go back. You currently represent hard work in a tough industry. I want to ask you a lot of questions that will essentially provide insight to those in Canada, especially, interested in a similar path, a path that you've paved in many ways. I want to talk to you about what led you to Ryerson's radio and television arts program? What were you interested in high school and leading up to in university? In high school, like, you know, there's, there's some people that have went and volunteered at Rogers and stuff like that. I mean, I didn't get there at that point. I took it upon myself to do a video yearbook. I mean, let's keep in mind, high school for me is the 90s. Where did you grow up? Uh, in Etobicoke. So, and I'm, and I'm, I'm still there now. I moved back there uh, when I bought a place. But it, it, it was you know, two VCRs and playing and pausing, and that's how you're making your cuts. And then we got a mixer when I was at at, uh, at high school at good old Bishop Allen in Tobacco. But yeah, I mean, I, I put a video yearbook together. I carried, you know, for those of you who, uh, who watch 90210, you know how David Silver used to carry around a video camera everywhere with him? That was me in high school. I used to carry it around like the Neil Goldman of high school for a Family Guy reference. I was the AV guy. I carried a camera around. I filmed everything that I could. I cut it together. I made them. I made like a whole bunch of montage and stuff. I put together a 45-minute video yearbook. And then at the end of the year, we would sell it to anyone who wanted it and then buy new equipment for the cool little editing room we had. And that's how I got my start, really not learning from anyone, just kind of figuring out and, and doing it learning on my own and then uh there's 
guys a couple of years older than me who ended up going to to Ryerson for radio and television. That blew my mind thinking that you can do this for a living. That's neat. Uh, and so I went to Ryerson. Um, it was great. It was hard to get in. That was the hardest part of it because it was just so fun it's being true. there. It's true. It was the hardest part is getting in because at that point it was like 15 to 1 uh, applications to people who actually got in. And uh, it was it was a great time. It was fun. Uh, my only disappointment is they don't teach a little more performance there because that's where my career has gone. And when I was there, they I just learned that all myself. It was a matter of, wow, we're doing the cameras. We're doing the editing. We're doing the board. Someone's got to be on a camera for this. And normally I was like, I'll do it. Cool. Um, and I still learn the other aspects as well. And it treated me well. I'm not complaining. I think the course is great. Uh, I will go out of my way when I was at Byte. I went out of my way to grab people who are already at Ryerson to, to work with me there as interns and then production assistants and producers. Um, so I took that stream and then got hired out of Ryerson to to host a show. This is, I mean, I answered a post that was given to me by a teacher's assistant, uh, and they were looking for two guy hosts to host a show about uh, music, extreme sports, and pop culture. I don't know a damn thing about extreme sports, but I was pretty good with music and pop culture. So I went in, I auditioned, they paired me up with a host named Rob at the time, uh, we kind of sort of worked out. He was the surfer dude, and I was the music guy. And we uh, we did a show called Bang TV, uh, which was weird because at that point, the Bang Bus had just come onto the internet. And uh, <laughs> everyone out there probably gets that reference and knows what that is. Well, it wasn't that. It was something else uh, here in Canada. So I did that and did teens dating for a company that was horrendous. I mean, I talk about Jeffrey Elliott and what a great boss he was. Well, I also worked for a guy named Garth Turner and man, this guy was such a penny pincher. Real, real tough go. Not much of a staff, but you're going to get into parts of your career where you are left with, again, not much money breeds creativity. And I was at that point hosting and producing and editing uh, Bang TV and Teens Dating. Wow. At one point. It was two shows, half hour shows. It was pure insanity, but I met some great people doing it. And um, it was a fun run. I mean, it was only about a year and a half, I think, I was there. But I learned a lot in that year and a half. And it led me on to going to work for Pyman Studios and doing docs and different car shows and then Byte TV. That show definitely prepared me to be the exec producer at Byte TV 100% because I was kind of left on my own with a very amazing cameraman um, for a lot of it. But now it seems like some things don't change. You're quite immersed in what you're doing. Your editing crashed. You're still quite involved heavily on all sides of the production. I have heard through the grapevine, one of your favorite sayings is, my vocation is my vacation. Yeah, I can't take credit for that. Okay. That was, uh, I use that all the time, but I'm not taking credit for it. It was okay. Roger, Roger Lejoie on the Fan 590, who I got the chance to work with. I mean, there's a guy who is exceptional to, and I think he teaches as well, but when you work with him, he is an exceptional person to work with and gave me so many opportunities and made me feel like I was an important cog in the wheel when I was just a board operator at the Fan 590. He was really empowering to work with. He treats people so well. He's a good-hearted individual. Roger Lajoie is just is someone that I, I, I credit a lot to, to giving me confidence to, to do things. And I only worked with him for a very small amount of time in like 1999 at the Fan 590, but Here's a story. So occasionally when I was working with Roger, 
as a radio operator for him. And he and he's the one who uses the phrase, my vocation is my vacation, because he had like six or eight jobs in the sports industry, doing play-by-play, being a PA announcer, working at the fan, writing for, you know, a Durham region paper. And I was like, Roger, how do you do all this? And he had a family too, which I don't have now. And he's just like, well, Jace, you know what? What else would I rather be doing? My vocation is my vacation. Like that is the greatest saying. <laughs> but occasionally I'd be sitting there working with Roger and the, the, the private phone at the back of the room would ring so i'm the operator so i'd go over and it would be this smooth talking fast talking voice uh that would go like hey next time roger goes on break can you just grab him for me it's george i'm like okay i'll tell him it's george and then he'd come out and roger pick up the phone he's like hey strombo how's it going oh wow it was strombo and this was strombo and he was still on much at that time but strombo was a board operator at the fan for roger and just loved working with roger and i'm sure if you talk to strombo he would say many of the same things that i'm saying roger lejoie is a great great person to work with so like lejoie yeah what are some of the personalities or even some of the TV shows and radio programs that made you first fall in love with the mediums? Huh, that's a that's an interesting question. Okay, so as far as you mentioned comedy, and I mean I work in the world of comedy doing conventioners crash bite and live stuff at Two comedy strikes. Bar. We'll talk about all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, live stuff at comedy bar as well, which is a recent incarnation. Uh I, I used to love and I still do love a show uh called Mr. Show. Uh it was the Bob Odenkirk and David Cross. And it was a sketch show. It was kind of built on a lot of the same things that Monty Python did years earlier, where every, it's a half hour show that HBO had on in about 97, I think. The end of one sketch would always connect to the beginning of the next sketch in a very clever way. And they'd be able to, and they did a top and a tail that was on stage in front of a live audience. And these two guys were exceptional working together, great writers. I mean, if you watch that show now, you look back, Jack Black was there, uh, Tom Kenny was there, who's the voice of SpongeBob, Sarah Silverman was on the show, and I mean, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, like, come on, they're household names, they're amazing, but these two guys just had such a great sketch show. So watching that um, was something that, that really inspired me, and of all things, also locally, I remember watching Tom Green when he was just on Rogers, that was pretty cool, but locally there was a show called The Buzz, which had Darren Jones and Mr. Moe on oh, it. Oh, yeah! Yeah, it was on Rogers 10 in Toronto and then it got picked up by the Comedy Network and the buzz was I love that show 100% my inspiration to do conventioneers I thought the buzz was really clever when I was in high school but then I found it repetitive and my whole thought was these two guys are funny um, but they're doing the same environment every week you're just always on the street and you're making up topics. So I thought when I had, you know, no money, but I wanted to do half hour programming on Byte, I'm like, I want that model, but I want to change it up. And I think I went to the Everything to Do a Sex Show once and I attended Fan Expo to do Streeters and I thought, there's more of these. And then you look like there's the Outdoor Show, there's the uh, Sportsman Show, there's the Bridal Show, the Wedding Shows, you name it, there's a show, a convention for it out there. And once I found Matt and started to get to know him, that was my inspiration to try Conventioneers out. And again, going back to that boss, Jeffrey Elliott, when I said to Jeffrey, like, hey, what if we went to a convention and interviewed people? And I took Matt, who's off camera, a very quiet person. Uh, Interesting. Doesn't really say anything. Is very good with the editing and graphic world, but that's kind of his world off camera. Whereas I'm just an extension of myself on camera. And uh, after Jeffrey was like, why are you taking the depressed intern to a convention? <laughs> um, he said, well, give it a try and see if it works. And we did one episode and I knew I had something. We've refined it since then, you know, 10 years uh, doing it. But 
we definitely had something. And it's a show that my favorite show that I've ever done as uh, by far conventioneers. I take the most pride in it, even though it's uh, a show that's definitely a low budget show. I think it's legitimately funny. Like I look back at some of the stuff that we did. Number one, I don't know how we got away with it. And number two, uh, it is a legitimately funny show that manages to keep one foot on either side of the line. Uh, as far as and, uh, being politically correct, if you watch the old ones now there, we definitely put two feet on the other <laughs> side of the line. Um, but when we're doing it now, we, we definitely, it's been a bit of an adjustment to, to live in this modern day world. And, Try not to overly append, uh, offend very sensitive people. It looked like you're having a blast. Yeah, doing that show we were. I mean, w- what's better than in, a, in our sixth and seventh season, all we did was travel around to conventions. We got to go to Vegas, L.A., and those were like the bigger cities, Boston. And then the really cool aspects of it were actually going to places like Roswell, New Mexico, Metropolis, uh, Illinois, Missoula, Montana, to go to these weird festivals and find these weird people and get to talk to them. And at that point, it was a show where we just kind of stood there and let them go. We were talking about sex shows, fan yep. expo, fitness conventions, to some really bizarre events like the Testicle Festival. That was Missoula, Montana. Yeah. Roswell UFO Festival yeah. in Roswell, Wizard World. You must have some crazy stories that didn't even make it to tape. Yeah, the stuff that happened... Uh, off camera at those places was pretty ridiculous because it was it was a small crew it was a crew of four people two shooters and two on-air people matt and i who doubled as the hosts and the editors as well and and our shooters were our age somewhere in that in that world and totally got the show and knew what we were going for and it was a dedicated effort that everyone was working for the company and seemed to have stakes in the show Uh, and that makes a huge difference to me when everyone is in on the end result everyone's dedicated everyone's invested in it and and everyone was and it was a fun time we all got along so really just consider it like again the vocation is the vacation right well we were on trips on vacation that happened to be making a television show it was the best how does canada compare to the u.s when it comes to these large-scale conventions the u.s is bigger i mean you go to vegas it's the mecca of conventions we were able to plan a trip it was a 14-day trip, and we managed to shoot eight episodes or more in those 14 days. That's insanity, because Vegas offers up conventions during the week as well. So I think we flew to Vegas, did two conventions, flew to L.A., did uh, the YouTube convention there, flew back to Vegas, did another convention in the middle of the week, flew to no, two conventions. Then we flew to Missoula, Montana, I think, for the Testy Festy, and then flew to... Indianapolis uh, for Gen Con. So we were on the road for 14 days. That's a gaming convention. Yeah, Gen Con's like a board game convention or something like that. Um, something like, because there's a lot of people that role play and do yeah, all of those things. And... Well, the, the cool, the really neat thing about that convention in particular, because we got to be known very well for both good and bad reasons in the Anime North and Fan Expo community. So when we walked into Gen Con, we're thousands of kilometers away from home. Right. And people were like, the conventioneers are here. <laughs> What's going on? When we were at CES, uh, we got recognized three or four times at CES, which is just the computer electronics show in Vegas. It's a packed jam show, but we were recognized because people have found these viral videos of us doing ridiculous things at conventions, and they spread. And it, become a, it became a certain point where, um, especially with Matt, 
where when we were at the the Fan Expo style events, fans would run up to him and go, it was almost like Don Rickles, like, hey, Matt, insult me. I want you to insult me. Why is my costume garbage? It's true. Matt's quite dark in some of those yeah. episodes. Oh, in many of them. That's his charm. <laughs> that is his charm. He you got- guys have this big brother, little brother thing yeah. going on. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely the dynamic that we have. Can you give us any more information on Crash, some of the conventions you're going to that you can There's uh, If you're in Canada and you happen to have Bell, it's on Bell 5 TV 1, so it's available on demand. We don't know what online platform we're going to go with yet. We don't know if there's a second broadcaster. We'll look for it after we get our 15 done. So we've got 15 episodes coming. Uh, We did the women's show, the gentlemen's show, bridal show. Uh, We just did Art Fest this week where I turned into an, an... I had people paint me from head to toe while just wearing underwear in bright colors. Let me tell you something. If you're ever going to do something like that, not that you are, but if you are, don't use paint from Dollarama. It will clog your drain. Um, (laughs) Then you'll be showering with a plunger and trying to both remove it from your body and remove it from your shower drain. What a mess the weekend was. Uh, So conventions like that, we have to keep it local. So we're trying to reinvent what we would do and try not to, you know, run over bits that we've already done before. What led Byte TV to winning an Emmy Award? All the interactive nature that I talked about earlier, um, because it was an interactive award that we won. We were a TV service that was also doing a lot of interactive uh, productions. We did a live talk show where we were having people. It sounds so silly to even talk about this now because it's so regular. But to be able to interact on your phone while watching your television, like text to screen and stuff like that, like it's it's nothing now. But at that point, it was so much bigger of a deal. Um, and we won for being on the forefront of that and yeah, it was cool. There's an Emmy statue. I have a picture with an Emmy statue. It's ridiculous. It's incredible. Ridiculous for a staff of yeah. You know, it was it was a station, an entire television station that was started with about I think nine people or something like that. It's crazy. How do you go from winning an Emmy? Yeah to eventually not existing anymore. What was happening in the industry that you kind of fell into? Well, something else. I wasn't in charge of that aspect of the company. I made sure that I put the funniest programming I could on the air at every opportunity I could. And I wasn't in charge of the business dealings or it would still exist and I'd still be there. Do you ever think of what career you would consider if you ever got out of television? Oh God, I don't know what to do. I had a, I had a, in 2003, I remember uh, after finishing the Bang TV, not bus, uh, and teens dating job that I did. And then I went over and uh, I went, I was hanging out at Pyman Studios and I was just, I was working as an editor, but on no real projects and it was really I was not having a good time in life. And I just remember going to a couple like work op lists and hot jobs and whatever and looking at other jobs and other industries. And I was like, Poof, I want to do nothing else. Just nothing. So um, pretty limited as far as that goes. Uh, but I mean, I, found, I guess I found my niche. I don't know. I really don't know even how to explain what I do. I mean, TV and radio host, cool, but also not serious. Like, I'm not a news guy, and that's limited me because I'm on News Talk, and I know it kind of limits me there, but I'm their trivia guy. I'm a game show host. What's that? You know, I mean, I've hosted, I don't know, five or six Canadian game shows, and then ended up hosting Tiny Talent Time. What? 
it's a very, very weird uh, career path that I've had to uh, end up where I am, which I don't even know where it is. So just to add to that portfolio, we're talking about Global Television's Brain Battle. You were a game show host, yep. kind of trivia related. Uh, YTV Splat a lot you mentioned. Um, you're currently hosting Sunday Morning Trivia on News Talk 1010 and a rebooted Canadian classic CHCH's Tiny Talent Time. Yeah, I'm on that. I don't think it's airing anymore. And I don't know. Is it not coming back? Yeah. It's, we're not sure? It's another... Uh, I'm not charged with the company. Right. Because <laughs> you did some holiday specials. We did the holiday special. Yeah, that was interesting to bring us back for that. But uh, I really have, I don't know. I don't, I can tell you that I'm going to be on Crash and I'm going to be on Newstalk and, right. and the law. Well, let's and talk a couple about commercials Talk. here and there. What makes a good trivia question, Jason? Something where you're like, oh man, I can't believe that's true. For instance, uh, I have a couple favorites. Like, do you know who Kiefer Sutherland's maternal grandfather is? Maternal, yeah, so, so mom's, mom's dad. dad. Because we all know that Kiefer's dad is Donald. Donald. But who's Kiefer's mom's father? So Kiefer's mom is Shirley Douglas. Okay. So Kiefer's mom's dad is Tommy Douglas, the father of Canadian healthcare. Okay. That's is an interesting trivia question. Isn't that insane, yeah. though? Like, that lineage is nuts. One of my other favorites on Canada Day, you just commonly ask people, well, what's, uh, what's the animal on the Canadian quarter? The moose. Nope. Caribou. Yes. Sorry. See? That's nice. it. But you that got me. That immediately is, the best. Yeah, is, you think is moose. Yeah. I thought it was a moose until I looked yeah, into yeah. it. But questions like that where, you know, I've seen this or I've heard this person's name for so long. There's somehow some way that, uh, is it nitrous? I can't remember the exact fact, but uh, peanuts can be an ingredient in dynamite. Wow. Yeah, really weird. Where do you get this information? Where do you, yeah. where do you, re- it just comes to you and you're like, that's it's, a question. It goes yeah, in my cell phone for Sunday. A, I like to play a game uh, on the show called uh, The Chain Game. And it was inspired by good old chain reaction back in the day. But it's where, uh, and kind of missed your show in a weird way, every answer leads you to the next question. So it would be like, you know, uh, who was the main character in 24? Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland, who's his right. uh, grandfather? Tommy Douglas. Tommy Douglas was the original, now what was the original premiere of Manitoba Saskatchewan or something like that and then I'll do a Saskatchewan Manitoba question and then getting harder and harder and harder and not even harder and harder because I'll, uh, you know I'll, the way that the game is played it's like you have to get three right before you get two wrong so I will throw in a couple like real stumpers and then throw in an easy one and then a couple stumpers and a good trivia question is just something where you're like ah, that's neat you know, I didn't know that. So it's not hard hitting. It's lighthearted. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, I'm never into the hard. Again, I'm not a news guy. I'm right. never into the never into the the newsy hard hitting stuff. I'm just into more like, oh, you might take that away. You How know? do you know when someone's cheating? Oh God, I I and so you know, iPads <laughs> make it so difficult. I know. So I'm on the air and I do a live show. And if I ever, you don't have a keyboard in this room, but if I ever, oh, you do over there. Oh, yeah. But if I ever hear someone hitting a keyboard, done. I am. I'm I'm very well known on the law, the wrestling show for just hanging up with people and being ruthless when I don't like callers, <laughs> and that's inspired by Bob McCowan here in Toronto, who's just ruthless with callers, which I I adore hearing. So I've taken that into my character on that show, and sometimes I do get a little mean on the trivia show. I don't mean to; it's a Sunday morning show, but I'm just like, are you cheating for a twenty five dollar McDonald's gift card? <laughs> Does your life really amount to that, sir, ma'am? So now I found a way to at least my operator can isolate the two callers in queue so he can hear them in each ear separately so he can hear at least which one is typing. I can't stand it. It just bothers me so much. 
You're a host after a long list of famous hosts. Do you, do you kind of look back at the kind of list of famous game, game show hosts and do you, you know, emulate anybody? Or you, do you have any really fame, famous um, game shows that you still watch today or that you're, you know, is Jeopardy a classic for you? Are you still watching Wheel of Fortune? Do you watch that other stuff? I used to watch, uh, when I was growing up, I used to watch The Price is Right with my grandma. So Bob Barker was always uh, great. I love Bob Barker. He's just so cool and chill. And Drew Carey doesn't do that show justice, in my opinion. Um, and as far as hosts go, I think um, Tom Bergeron is a great host. And I don't really watch Dancing with the Stars. My mom does and loves it. But I just remember seeing the clip when Marie Osmond fainted. And he didn't skip a beat. Uh, and he just managed to segue so smoothly to commercial while this <laughs> woman, one of his contestants, just fainted in front of him. So I thought that was great. I do think Seacrest is a great host. I just think he's so smooth. So, yeah, guys like that. And, I mean, a lot of my classic stuff is pulled from the world of wrestling as well as opposed to game shows. And I and I do use the phrase, don't you dare miss it, at the end of the majority of my shows that I can use it for. And that's inspired by Billy Ray Lyons. Uh, sorry, Billy Red Lyons, Billy Ray. Billy Red Lyons, who was the uh, Maple Leaf Wrestling host out of Hamilton. I put together a little bit of a trivia game for you. Oh, boy. So, it's easy. Okay. It's basically a series of famous television game show presenters and classic shows. Yeah. All you have to do is either name the host or the show when given a name. Okay. It's easy. So, I'll All say right. Pat Sajak, and you'll say... Wheel of Fortune. And I'll say Jeopardy, and you'll say... Alex Trebek. And for extra points, can you name any, any other Jeopardy hosts? Uh, oh, Jeopardy? I thought you were going to ask for no, you're Alex right. Trebek. You're right. uh, uh, but other hosts that have maybe... Of host, Jeopardy? Of Jeopardy? Well, they did an April Fool's thing where Pat Sajak and Alex Trebek flipped one year. So Art Fleming is the, oh, one yeah, of the yeah, original the, host. Reference in the Weird Al Yankovic song, that's, I Lost on Jeopardy. That's right. So you're, yeah. I, Don Pardo was the announcer at that time, Are you right? still a Weird Al fan? Well, I thought his last album that finally got him like the bestseller and where he did Grammys. Foil and... and I he thought won a that, Grammy. Yeah, I thought he did a great job with that album. And the way he released it on different media platforms, different social media platforms for each one of his videos was to me it was ingenious it's because his record label was the album that's the final album he did with this record label so he's uh-huh. like guys i'm doing all i'm going out all stops with you guys this is how i plan to continue my career gotcha. and they're like we'll finally let you do something that probably were, we never were behind you in the beginning and now he's won grammy the, all this huge social media stuff and now he's leaving that label now he's right. going completely independent so we have lots lots if you're a big fan i'm a big fan also bare nickel ladies we talked about about uh, briefly before the show you know all these kind of 90s you know references all rolled up into one i feel like that's kind of your background i mean of age and, and, and that kind of yeah, I mean, Canadiana it's always said goofy you, stuff. You, you take away what, uh, what you listen to in your teens is the music that you take away from your, for your life, right? A, a lot of that. So, yeah, Bare Naked Ladies. And I was a Moxie Fruis fan, but wow. I guess I shouldn't say that anymore. True. <laughs> anyway. You going to have him on this show? No, I'm He's not. available, yeah, I think. Yeah, He's here. not doing much His, now. He has a podcast, too, oh, actually. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's get back to the game, okay? So okay. I say Star Search, and you say... Ed McMahon. Correct. Richard Dawson. Family Feud. Very good. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Originally? Originally. Regis Philbin. That's correct. Do you know anybody else that's still on it? Uh, who, the new version is Chris Harrison, I think, from Bachelor. Correct. Is now doing that. Meredith Vieira. Another correct answer. for a while. There you go. All right. I think that, that might you, you get me out for Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yeah. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Don't forget the lyrics. Wayne Brady? Correct. Mark McGrath? Correct. Okay. 
VH1's Rock and Roll Jeopardy. Jeff Probst. That's that's a givey. Uh, Wink Yahoo. Uh-oh. Correct. Uh, Gene Rayburn. Uh, Gene Rayburn. Now, is that Match Game? The original oh, Match you're, Game? You're on it, Jason. Yeah. Monty Hall. Oh, let's make a deal. All now right. Wayne Brady. That's right. Bob Eubanks. Uh, newlywed Game over and over again. There you go. Yeah. Chuck Woolery. Uh, uh, back in two and two, Love Connection. There we go. And also, actually, I think he might have been a Wheel of Fortune host as well. Jason, you've not only exceeded the, the perfect score, but you're, you're pressing me by all means. If, if Last one. This is absolutely... I'm going to be really disappointed if I don't get this one If you don't get this now. last oh, one. Okay. Win Ben Stein's money. Well... I mean, Ben Stein and Jimmy Kimmel. There you go. That's yeah. a perfect score, Jason Agnew. Yeah, you, you know go. your stuff. You belong. And, and but this actually leads me to your live game show, if you will, Two Strikes Comedy. Yeah. So it's a comedy improv game show all mixed into one with a little bit of a wrestling vibe, too, sometimes. Uh, sort of wrestling. The way that I refer to it is uh, where whose line is it anyway meets Fear Factor. So it's an elimination game. So I'm the host. So imagine whose line is it anyway. Instead of four people, you start with six people. And there's other elimination shows in the city, like Beer Prov is a fun show. And, and I also host something called Catch 23. But um, mine starts with six performers. And they do scenes like you'd see on whose line is it anyway. And then after each scene, the audience doesn't give you know, a rating for the scene. Instead, they pick the performer that they don't like and go, eh. And the, the performer that gets the louder buzz gets a strike. If they get two strikes, they're eliminated from the show. Interesting. It gets down to two people, and that's where the, the fear factor part comes in, because we do three different sets of elimination games, depending on what show you're coming to. So one of them is something called Shots Roulette, where there's a tray of shots in front of the performers... And we, I, I pretense it with these performers are also actors. They're not just improvisers. So we're going to try acting here, audience. If they make you laugh, they will be punished. They will have to do a shot. So, But the performers are just trained to make people laugh, right? Like, you want to go up there on stage and you want people to laugh when you're doing your thing. So, it's, so And I'll set them up in something like, let's pretend it's a funeral and mom just died. Okay, cool. Now go do a scene which just gets so farcical, the audience end up laughing. When they laugh, the performer has to do a shot. The shots, however, there's 11 on, on the actual uh, table. Five are vodka, five are water, and one is vinegar. So that's why it's roulette, because odds are one of the performers will hit the vinegar shot and do a spit take or burn their throat or maybe puke a little bit. That's happened once. <laughs> uh, another one I play when we get down to two is the perform. The last two performers are blindfolded. And they, they have to take off their shoes and socks, and then we cover the stage with 50 mouse traps, and they have to play a scene on mouse traps. And then we also do one with shock collars, just saying. Wow, it's a little jackass madness. Yeah, it's a, I'm a mean son of a bitch. What are some of your favorite moments from past shows? Maybe some of the standout performers. Oh, I mean, there's so many talented people in the city. It's, it's insane. It's true. Toronto's absolutely incredible. I mean, you put it up there with New York, L.A., Chicago as far as the improv scene goes uh, and the comedy scene, stand-up, etc. There's so many talented people. Favorite things that have happened, I mentioned the the, the <laughs> almost vomit, which was ridiculous. There was, there's been rolling around on mousetraps. There's been, I remember a scene that uh, Nigel Downer and Mark Little uh, was playing this scene as well. Mark Little, who's on uh, Mr. D uh, and is a very well-known stand-up. He decided to play the improv show with us and he made it right to the end and we set them up playing laser tag 
And they brought it to like, they were mentioning like their uncles were a nom and they didn't want to take a step because, you know, uh, the, the landmines were going to go off and the landmines were the actual mousetraps and such. It was, they only fired off about eight mousetraps. We put 50 up there. They only fired up but eight, but every one counted that the audience was just biting in on every single one. And they were also scared shitless on the stage, which made for a fun scene. Mark Little's hilarious. He's been on this show. He's definitely a Toronto and East Coast gem. Yeah. And you're right. Toronto is having a comedy boom like no other. How does it compare to you? You've been to LA. You've been to New York. You know, when you go get the vibe of comedy out there and you come back home, is it extremely comparable? Uh, actually, I'm not, I'm not, it's not fair for me to judge that. I mean, I've been to one show in LA. I've never got to see the comedy scene in New York. I've traveled there mainly for TV stuff. Right. So I haven't really done, I'm not one like Mark who would have done those uh, scenes as well. And I'm, I'm a weird strange hybrid performer in that way because I'm not a stand-up. Most people think I do stand-up. I don't. Um, I'm not a good improviser. I tried. I'm just not very good at it. But I host shows and can easily move along a show and throw my two cents in. Uh, And I'm very good at that, but cannot do the other skills. Can you tell us a little bit more about Catch-23? Yeah, I mean, that's the Friday night show at Comedy Bar. It's it's great. It's just a great, fun night out. It's 8 p.m. Friday nights at Comedy Bar. You have three teams that are playing out different scenes. I'm the host. There's a judge character as well. It can be an improviser. It can be uh, a celebrity that comes in. We had Cabby out a couple weeks ago wow. from TSN. I mean, RJ City, who's also an improviser but was on Splat a lot and is uh, he, he works at CBC as well, doing stuff on, on their daytime show. Uh, what's their daytime show called? I was blanking on it. Which one? Remember. The lit, not the list. The, the CBC daytime show. I can't remember. Oh, RJ's going to hate me. Oh, well. So, yeah, we have a judge and a host and three teams, and it's just a super fun time. Come out, have beers. And, and you know, the more you drink, the funnier we get. You mentioned you're not a comedian. You're an actor. You are a presenter, a host. You've done some commercial work. Yeah, I have done some commercials. You've had some pretty incredible interviews. I, I want to get back to the law. Uh, I have a few questions about that. What makes a good interview, especially with wrestlers or even just comedians and people you're in, or even just talking on news talk and doing your trivia stuff and, and engaging with people? What makes a good interview and what does a, the host's role play in these above average interviews? It's like when you go to a concert and you know you want that band to play the hits. So when you're doing the interview, you know you're going to play the hits. You know you're going to ask about whatever movie they're promoting or the same questions everybody else asks, but what I like to do. And um, yeah, in the, in the, in the wrestling world, it's happened a, f- a few times, but I remember I was interviewing um, Hugh Dillon from the headstones. I am a huge headstones fan, like ridiculous. And, and Hugh Dillon in particular was very inspiring when he was in a hardcore logo. I love that movie. I love this part there. So I was, is very early on in my career. Um, you know, within a year of just starting to do these interviews with, with, you know, musicians. And he was someone that I wanted to interview just from watching him all these years. And, um, he showed up, uh, for this interview, just outside the ACC, and we had met before, and he wasn't—he wasn't in the greatest state of mind. I guess we can look back and laugh at this now. Hugh had some addiction problems in the past. He was trying to get clean. He—he he wasn't quite there yet. He's had a lovely career since then, you know, doing acting on Durham County and Flashpoint and stuff. And he was having a bad morning, but he'd also met me before, and he's like, he was going to do the interview. 
So when I interviewed him, yeah, 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 we're going to talk about the album that he was promoting, sure, whatever. And then I just said, hey, I just, I just got a few questions for you about, about Hardcore Logo, which he was getting all the time as well. But I said to him, like, okay, so how different was it for you, Hugh, after being with the Headstones for over a decade to play with a, you know, a different band? Because you played with Swamp Baby as your backing band for that movie. And just he just stopped. And he's like, oh, you, you you know the name of the band. I'm like, yeah, I was, I just, I found it. I wanted to ask you about that. He's like, cool. Okay. Yeah. Well, it was, it was actually just like karaoke because they did the tracks and then I was singing to the tracks. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I said, I asked him something about doing a cover and I said, uh, I forget what cover it was originally, but I said, you know, you've been known to do some covers. Uh, I think they did Tweeter and the Monkey Man on one of their albums, but I'm like, but you also do covers when you play live because you do, and he's like, are you going to ask me about ABBA? I'm like, yeah, you do SOS <laughs> at the end of your concerts. He's like, dude, oh man, yeah, okay, cool. I'm like, and Sound of Silence? He's like, I don't know how you know these things. I'm like, I've seen you live a few times. So we finished the interview and he stopped and he immediately apologized to me. He's like, I feel so bad right now because clearly you're a fan and have been for a while and you're doing this interview and you had great questions and brought up these things that no one ever talks about. And I just, can I do your show again, please? Wow. Sometime when I'm in a better frame of mind. And I'm like, yeah, great. So then he came back and he co-hosted a show with me. Wow. And ever since then, like I've done, I, I hosted some late nights on News Talk and, um, I've just sent Hugh an email and say, hey, can, can we get an update on your career and what you're doing? He's like, for you, man, no problem. Amazing. Was, he was always really nice to me. And, you know, I had heard, sometimes when you mentioned his name, you know, he had been through some rough periods. And I guess, you know, when you're not in your great state of mind, you can treat people not so great. But he has always been so great to me. And he's very much a rough around the edges guy back in the day, right? But he's he's always treated me so well. And I think there was just that that respect. So you're, you're asking about what makes a good interview. When you can find a nugget of information that your interview who's just done a press junk and been asked the same questions over and over again actually gets to have a little fun doing the interview with you i think that's fun for the performer or the musician or such to maybe make you a little bit memorable to them i I think cabby does a great job at this as well when cabby does his interviews with people he just looks like he's having a fun time and they're getting a break from repeatedly answering the same questions over and over again when Cabby shows up. I think that's something that's very enjoyable for the athletes that he interviews and can be for musicians or whomever that you happen to be interviewing. So. Headstones covered the Traveling Wilburys? Yeah, Tweeter and the Monkey Wow. Man. Yeah. I had no idea, because I know Headstone fans, if you're from Toronto, if you're from Canada, you love them. Like, if you're there, they had a huge following. Yeah, they're not, like, the, the not as big as the Tragically Hip had, but, sure. you know, like, they were just someone, it was Hardcore Logo that, I was, before that I was into them, but then Hardcore Logo, I just went bananas because it was just such a great movie. Just for the reference, my uh, deep cuts for you were not yeah. the Bare Naked Ladies, were not Weird Al, it yeah. wasn't even Dan Lorensky's love for Frank Zappa. Okay. Uh, a little birdie once told me that you have a love for karaoke bars yeah. in Toronto. Yeah, I do. do, you, I do. Uh, can you tell us a few of your favorite ones? Is it EXO? Do you love going to... I don't like going to EXO no? because those, those are private rooms. That's weird to me. Okay. I'm going to sing. I want to do it in front of an audience. <laughs> yeah, I, could, I, I don't want to sing in front I, of I my damn friends. Yeah. What? Oh, I want to go up there and, and sing in front of an audience and I don't need to sing over and over again. I'll sing once, maybe twice a night. I don't know. There's, you know, wherever there's a karaoke DJ in town named Jason Roland. He's a... He's oh, he's a, great. Yeah. He, he, he's at Penny's Yeah, he's at Penny. He keeps a good rotation. Like, yeah. just keep a good rotation, friends. Uh, that's all. I mean, I used to go to the Fox a lot because it's seven days a week. Uh, but Penny's is, is all right. It's a little dive bar. I do enjoy dive bars. 
uh, and karaoke's it's, it's one of my preferred nights out. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, hear yeah. you do a, a live mashup of Carly Ray Jepsen. I haven't done that one for a while. And Third Eye Blind. Yeah, yeah. I, see that one? Okay, that was what the genesis was when I heard <laughs> someone do that. I was like, I think I can do that. And and I and I did. You sing "Call Me Maybe" over top of uh, what? semitone, semi-charm life, semi-charm yeah, life. semi-charm life. But the one that I enjoy now is involves a mashup of you pick all about that bass and sing the chorus of that, but you sing the lyrics to Baby Got Back okay. in between. So it's all about the bums. Good for you. Yeah, I like no, that. No, it's real sad. It's no, not good I, for you. I, I can't, being able sad. to go up on, on stage saying that you're not a performer, you know, acting's not your first love. Karaoke is one of the hardest things to actually enjoy. I think people are scared and people like Jason. You mean, uh, you mean to listen to? Harder sure. to enjoy while listening to? Both. I got you. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a combination of all things. So that's my deep cut for you, yeah. Jason Agnew. But I, I just want to go back. I want to talk about your start in your career. You went out of your way to volunteer while you were still in university. What advice do you have to people currently listening to you who have seen you pave this path what's the advice you have for people who are interested in volunteering uh, what are your thoughts on paid volunteering or paid internships one of the things i'd say to anyone that's in uh going to school for uh whether it be radio and television arts or radio or film or whatever is uh, get out and, and get into the real world i mean you're going to learn more in the first month of, of being out in the real world than than you are in your two-year college course or four-year Ryerson course. I mean, they're going to teach you the basics. And, and by all means, I, I'm, I'm big on one of the things I liked about Ryerson, there wasn't even enough of it, is uh, I prefer to be uh, practically smart than book smart. Uh, sometimes you just got to learn how to get things done. And you don't necessarily have to do it the right way. Just do it the way to get things done. And I really think that me saying that now is... Uh, I think a lot of people have already learned that because you have a lot of students just doing things on, on YouTube, making their own videos and immediately putting them out there. There's There doesn't necessarily need to be a traditional line to it. But, I mean, you say I paved the road. I mean, it's a it's a gravel road. <laughs> that I, my career is, is not a highway. It's, 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 a, it's definitely a gravel road, a rocky road, um, somewhere up here in Canada. Okay, it went down to the it went down to the U.S. Uh, just being distributed there, but uh, they didn't. You know, they sent the car back. Yeah, so I, I would just say go, go out and, and do stuff. Don't don't depend on school to teach you everything. Uh, I mean, I worked for free for quite a while doing the uh, the law, um, but I was enjoying myself at the same time, and I managed to hook on to be an operator at the Fan Five Ninety, and then I really started enjoying that as well. And I'm not even much a sports guy. Uh, but but I did very much enjoy that. So you know, look for opportunities like that. I don't know. I think it would be very difficult to come out of school now into an industry that is drastically shrinking. Um, things are easier in regards to getting things done. Production doesn't necessarily have to be as bulky anymore. Um, but there 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 might be less opportunities. I'm really not sure. Like I had a great run with Bite. And I thought I would be there for a lot longer until the company just kind of went poof, you know, and, and it got bought. And there were once a, once the merger happened, there were two production departments and my boss was the one that was pushed out and I was loyal to him. I knew I was pushed out at that point. And ever since that time, I haven't really been fully 
uh, had a full-time job uh, since then. It's been a whole bunch of freelance gigs that have come together, kind of making my own name, my own brand. Working with Matt as well has been great. Matt Chin is one of the best things that's you know happened to me in my career is to find someone so talented that our skills offset one another, and we're also a good pair on TV. I, I would just say don't depend on school to to teach you everything. There's Get out there. And I think the tag to that is we no longer live in this 40-hour work week. Yeah. I mean, you clearly don't. No, I, I, I don't. I mean, at the moment, I have a bit of a reverse God schedule where uh, it looks like I'm resting six days and working one because my Sunday is just jammed. But I mean, I'm doing things all through the week. It's just definitely not a nine-to-five 40-hour work week. And I, I don't, I've never ever had that even when i was at bite i was totally going seven days uh and loved it it was great i was doing bite on the weekends i was doing the law there was a point where i also had trivia on sunday mornings uh, a late show on thursday nights and i was hosting for travel and escape at the same time and then i would take vacation to go do splat a lot that was the best time of my life and it sounds like it's led you where you are today. And I, I wanted you on the show today because you're not just a good representation of hard work, but you love what you do. Oh, yeah. yeah your vocation I, is your vacation. Yeah, I, I, there's nothing I'd rather do. Like people ask, why do, you, why do you get up on Sunday mornings to go do a trivia show? You know, Sunday's a day off. I'm like, no, 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 that's, that is my day of work. Uh, what else would I rather be doing than, than being on the radio or or? shooting a TV show. There's really nothing else. I don't know if that's sad. It could be sad, but all I want to do is is work because I have such a great time doing it. I don't even see the need for vacations, which has been terrible for my personal life. When I've had girlfriends who are like, oh, I want to go away. I'm like, I've just, I've just been away traveling for work. I don't really want to go anywhere. Well, Jason, thank you for so much for coming on the show. We ended on that note. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. <laughs> this guy's got an okay career, but his personal life is a sham. Well, I mean, obviously, <laughs> when you love what you do so much, all the things come, right? Relationships come, you know, more work comes. Like, I, I don't think you have to prioritize these these things. I, I think if you're happy with what you're doing, somebody's going to come along and inc- indulge in your happiness and therefore create more happiness. It's a tough industry to, to have relationships in. But now more than ever, we have, you know, whether or not you're vacationing or not, we have a lot more freedoms. I think the harder you work and the more you enjoy it, the more you understand the work-life balance. Yeah, I do not understand the work-life balance, but um, that's, that's fine. I definitely do not understand that. I have no concept of that whatsoever. Jason, can we plug your socials where people yeah, can see sure. you and uh, hear you? Easy, Easiest thing is uh, a lot of my stuff is up at jasonagnew.com. Uh, I stole that URL away from a 16-year-old basketball player, and I've been going with it since. Uh, yeah, so jasonagnew.com, at agnewjason on uh, the Twitter and Instagrams of the world. Or I still use Facebook. I still like it. Me too. Just find Jason Agnew on there. So there you go. That's where it is. Just Google that. I pop up all over the place, for better or for worse. You'll probably see a lot of me naked. Not fully naked, but it's just a lot of me. Too much of me, actually. I apologize in advance. Don't follow me. Just don't. Well, thank you for wearing clothes here today, Jason. Very welcome. Thank you for coming on to Ross Never Sleeps on Never Sleeps Network. Never sleepers, sleep tight. Never Sleeps Network.
This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Thank you.